Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. A number of years ago, I was visiting a friend, and out in front of their house, one of the kids was washing the car. You know the drill, the garden hoses out, turned on, strong pressure. There's the mop bucket, suds, the rag, doing the car wash at home. I was standing there watching and I noticed that the hose on the end of it had one of those nozzles that you can turn off. And then you can decide what kind of spray or stream you want from the hose. Well, while putting all the soap on the car, this kid had turned the hose off. The pressure up at the spigot by the house was still on, full force, but the hose was turned off. I was standing there watching when suddenly there was this pow, and a geyser of water was rooster tailing out of that hose where it had burst. I thought about that hose this last week, standing there thinking that day, there's a lot of water pressure coming in, but there's nothing going out. I thought about it because sometimes that's the way church is. In fact, sometimes that's the way church is during a pandemic. Have you noticed that? We have opportunities to take in, to take in, and to take in. Some of us watching two, three, four worship services in a day. Now that's all good. God can richly and deeply bless us with the water of life through that means. But the question is, what's coming out the other end? Is the water of life pouring out the other end in service to others? If it's not, we're in trouble. We're in danger. So I want to remind you, we are in a journey, on a journey, in a series entitled Traveling Alone Together. We're talking about discipleship, disciples on the journey. Our focus has been the four values, we call them, that Loma Linda University Church has for growing disciples. In fact, we believe that if you engage in the love and the grace and the presence of Jesus in these four acts consistently, you will grow as a disciple. That's just the natural outcome. Just like a kid who wants to grow up to be tall and strong, if they eat, they exercise, if they rest, they'll grow. It's the same with these. We've spent three weeks now looking at the first three, worship, Bible study and prayer, and community. Today and next week, we come to the fourth, two weeks because it has two prongs. That fourth value is service. First prong, service to others by meeting their needs. Second prong, service to God by sharing His Word. And so today we begin with that first one, service to others by meeting their needs. To consider this, we're going to turn to a small, a brief epistle in the New Testament, 1 Peter. 
1 Peter chapter 4, an epistle written to people suffering persecution in great difficulty and trouble, uncertain about what the future held, but longing for the return of Jesus. Now, before we read the passage, I'd like to share maybe a bit of a roadmap so we know what to expect in the passage so we can follow what Peter's trying to say. So the words we'll read in a few moments begin with these words, the end of all things is near. Peter and his community were deeply aware of the fact that the last days in the New Testament begin with the first advent of Christ. They kicked into high gear when the Spirit descended at Pentecost. And so there was a deep sense we are living in the light of the coming of Jesus. So if you've looked around at the world today, the political situation, the economic situation, the healthcare situation, the, the, the natural situation with the fires and all the rest that's going on. If you've looked around and said, I don't know how much longer this can last, then this passage is for you. It will start with those words, the end of all things is near. Then Peter will proceed in rather quick fashion to give four directives in light of the fact that the end of all things is near, four directives. The first one is pray. Pray. Since the end of all things is near, Peter is saying, you ought to be people of deep, consistent, continual prayer. In fact, he will use, use words like sober and solemn and deep. He's talking about an ongoing, robust life of prayer. That's his first directive. His second directive, love. You want to know how to live in light of the coming of Christ? Love. I love the way Eugene Peterson renders this in the message. He says, love as if everything depends on it. Because love can overcome anything. That's the reality. In fact, Peter, in the original, draws a term from the athletic world, from the sports world. He uses a term that, if it were today, an athlete might say at the end of the contest, I left everything on the court. I left everything out there on the field. What that athlete is saying is, I'm not bringing any energy, any reserve energy into this locker room. I spent it all on the field. I gave everything I had to it. That's the term Peter will use here. Love with a depth, a consistency, and a commitment that takes over everything else. That's his second directive. His third directive, you will see, is welcome. He talks about hospitality. He will tell us to welcome others without grumbling. Man, I wish he hadn't put those two words in there. Without grumbling? That's half the fun of having people over, right? <laughs> but Peter says, offer hospitality. It kind of reminds me of the words of a, a former Archbishop of Canterbury who said, true Christian hospitality is treating people as though they're at home when you really wish they were. <laughs> well, that's what Peter's addressing here. It reminds me of my maternal grandfather. My maternal grandfather and grandmother had three kids, all girls, three daughters, three sisters. Their last name was brothers. <laughs> so they were the brothers' sisters. Well, those three young women had often the experience of a boy knocking at the door wanting to see them. And my grandfather, my mother used to tell us, 
when he would see those boys at the door, he would say, well, come in and make yourself at home. If you're not, you ought to be. <laughs> in other words, you ought to be at home, not here. That's what the Archbishop of Canterbury said. That's true Christian hospitality, treating people as though they're at home, even though you wish they were. Well, that's what Peter says without grumbling. So there are three of his directives. Pray, love, welcome, and then the one that is our focus today, the fourth one, serve. Actually, the first three have to do with elements of service. This is the one on which we're going to especially focus today in verse 10, serving others. You'll notice that after we read verse 10, then in the next two verses, Peter will give two illustrations of the kinds of gifts we can use in service to others. One are gifts of speech. The other is gifts of deeds. And it all lends up to the praise and the glory of God. So that's our roadmap. That guides us through the passage. So now we're going to actually come to the reading of the passage itself. 1 Peter 4, I begin reading in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So that's the passage, at the heart of which is that directive to serve. In fact, I want to reread that verse 10 to make sure we have it clearly in mind. Verse 10, once again, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, we could focus in on a variety of different aspects of just that one verse, we could focus in on the fact that each one of us receives at least one gift. Starts with that, each of you. And then later in the text, it will say in various forms. We all have gifts, though they might be different ones. We all have them. Or we could focus in on the fact that they are gifts of God's grace. They're not something that we have developed on our own. God has given us these gifts to use. Or we could focus in on the word stewards, stewards of God's grace. In other words, we are serving a master above us. These don't belong to us. Our opportunities don't even belong to us. Our time doesn't belong to us. But we are stewards carrying out what God desires us to do. Now, the truth is, if you've been paying attention in Christian circles, there is tension, tension that exists between the two-pronged value that we hold here. We call it service. But remember, there are two prongs, service to others by meeting their needs, service to God by sharing His Word. 
There's often been tension between those two thoughts. People who say our one and our only duty is to share the spiritual realities of God's Word with people. That's what we have to do. Let the social part of it be left to the government or to parachurch organizations or to someone else. Let's stay focused on our spiritual goal. But then others have responded saying, what are you talking about? Even Jesus spent more time meeting people's needs than he did teaching or preaching. We have to tend to people's needs, and that tension has existed. This past week, a good friend of mine, Larry Thomas, retired physician here in our community, shared with me the quotation from someone who was a dear friend of Larry's, the late John Stott. John Stott was one of the preeminent Christian theologians of the 20th century. And Stott weighed in on this tension in what I think is a masterful way. I want you to notice what Stott said. He begins, I suggest the need for a threefold recognition about evangelism and social action. Okay, here's the first recognition. A recognition that the two are partners in the Christian mission. Dis distinct yet equal partners. Neither is an excuse for the other, a cloak for the other, or a means to the other. Each exists in its own right as an expression of Christian love. Both should be included to some degree in every local church's program. So Stott says they need to be together. Then his second recognition. A recognition that both are also every individual Christian's responsibility. Every Christian is a witness and must take whatever opportunities he or she is given. Every Christian is also a servant and must respond to challenges to service without regarding them as merely occasions for evangelism. Yet the existential situation will often assign priority to one or the other of the two responsibilities. For example, the Good Samaritan's ministry to the brigand's victim was not to stuff tracks in his pocket, but to pour oil in his wounds. For this was what the situation demanded. It's beautiful. And then the third recognition. A recognition that although both are part of the church's and the Christian's duties, yet God calls different people to different ministries and endows them with appropriate gifts. This is a necessary deduction from the nature of the church as Christ's body. Although we should resist polarization between evangelism and social action, in other words, let's not create that tension, we should not resist specialization. Everybody cannot do everything. That's Peter's words in today's passage. Each should use whatever gift you have been given to serve others. So I continue now with Stott. Some are called to be evangelists, others to be social workers, others to be political activists. Within each local church, which as the body of Christ in the locality is committed to both evangelism and social action, there is a proper place for individual specialists and for specialist groups. Evangelism is the major instrument of social change for the gospel changes people and changed people can change society. Wow. I don't know that I've ever read a more clear and articulate statement about that tension. We have brought that into one, service. 
Service to others by meeting their needs. Service to God by sharing His Word. And the passage we have read from Peter is addressing primarily, not exclusively, but primarily the first of those, serving others by meeting their needs. Peter says, let each of us use whatever gift we have been given to serve others. Now, that's not a nice idea that Peter came up with to have some filler for the latter part of his letter. That's not just a, a nod in the direction of taking care of people's physical needs. That's actually a reflection of the teaching and the witness of the New Testament and the Old Testament combined. In fact, beyond that, it is a succinct statement of the very law of life. As one writer puts it, listen to these words from the pen of Ellen White, who says, to give is to live. The life that will be preserved is the life that is freely given in service to God and to humanity. The law of self-serving is the law of self-destruction. You can't state it much more simply and clearly than that. What were those words? To give is to live brings to mind that garden hose, doesn't it? That garden hose that was taking in all the water. The pressure was still on, taking it in, taking it in, but there was no outlet on the other end to share that, to spray it out. Poof! It erupted and became utterly useless. If we continually take in and have no means of serving others by giving out that which we have received, our spiritual muscles become very weak and atrophied, and we are unable then to do what the gospel calls us to, which is to serve others with the various gifts that we have been given. That's the call of the gospel, the directive of Peter in his words. Serve. So what would that look like? If we were to take Peter seriously here, if we were to read this word, I'm going to reread it one more time in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If we were to take that seriously, what might it look like? I want to offer you three brief quotes and three stories. So we begin with the three brief quotes. The first one from the pen of Gordon MacDonald, a writer, preacher. MacDonald says this, You can tell whether you are becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. How do I act? when people treat me like a servant, when people aren't appropriately grateful, appropriately appreciative, when I feel like they're just receiving, how do I act? That's a good measure of how much of a servant heart I'm developing, according to Gordon MacDonald. 
Second quote, Terence Fredheim. Fredheim says this, the best way for people to learn about the church is by seeing a face and hearing a voice say, we're here to serve in the name of Christ and God bless you whether you come or not. How often our service has had a hook in it to make sure that if we serve people, we have a hook that hopefully can draw them into our church. Fred Heim is saying the best kind of service is the kind of service that says we are here to address and to meet your needs. Whether you ever darken our door or not, we will still put the same energy and passion into it. Third quote from none other than the late, great Martin Luther King Jr., who said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? It's so easy to lie in indolence across the law, just taking in, taking in, taking in, with no outlet on the other end. That will every time lead to trouble, and uselessness. Now the three stories. First story comes from the pen of Philip Yancey, the Christian writer. Philip Yancey tells the story of Jonathan Marks, a 60 Minutes producer. Marks, who wrote a book about having grown up in the cradle of faith, in the womb of the church, the evangelical church, but later departing from it, abandoning it, no longer having having faith and confidence in the ways and beliefs in which he was raised. And then Marx had an experience, profound experience, Yancey writes. In fact, Marx would go so far as to say he believed one of the seminal moments in U.S. history was Hurricane Katrina. That hurricane that, that brought so much devastation in its wake and so much exposed the inability of our government agencies to respond adequately to the occasion and to the event. Marx went and walked among, lived among, listened to the people who were part of that experience. And in doing so, he found something compelling. He found that in the midst of a great deal of ineptitude, there was a shining light called the Christian church. He talks about a Baptist church, for example, that fed 16,000 people a day. He speaks of a church that housed 700 homeless. He elaborates on those examples and he speaks of the fact that the church just became active. In fact, after other agencies had left and after the devastation had not left, there was still a gathering, a coalition of Christian churches from other states that continued to come in that, into that community and rebuild the homes in the community. Marx was profoundly touched by that, so much so that I want to read you his words. As one worker told him, these are Yancey's words actually, as one worker told him, 
We had whites, blacks, Hispanics, Vietnamese, good old Cajun. We just tried to say, hey, let's help people. This is our state. We'll get everybody else to sort out that other stuff. We've got to cook some rice. Whatever else you've got to sort out, do it. But we're going to feed people. Marx concludes, I would argue that this was a watershed moment in the history of American Christianity. Nothing spoke more eloquently to believers and to non-believers who were paying attention than the success of a population of believing volunteers measured against the massive and near total collapse of secular government efforts. The storm laid bare an unmistakable truth. More and more Christians have decided that the only way to reconquer America is through service. Listen to these last words. The faith no longer travels by the word. It moves by the deed. Now, maybe you will say to me, but Randy, Peter in his passage talked about two kinds of gifts, speech and deeds. And here Marx is saying, not speech, but deeds. And I would say to you simply, remember what John Stott said, the situation will tell you what is needed. What was needed in that situation? To stuff some tracks in the pocket of the victim of the thief of the Good Samaritan or to pour oil in his wounds? Service. Service to others. A second story. This one very personal. Because it's about my father and my mother. As I studied 1 Peter 4 this week, and as I considered this theme, I couldn't help it. My thoughts went to mom and dad, who lived lifetimes of service. Dad had a passion in his heart to not just share the gospel, the fact that Jesus loves you, that God isn't angry with you, that he wants to be your forever friend, not just to share the gospel with people, but to meet their temporal needs. In fact, he had a very specific dream, and that was to minister to indigenous peoples that others had forgotten and had thrown aside. As such, he tried Tried in the jungles of Colombia and Venezuela, wanted to go out and meet a certain tribe that was there that had been very deadly against any incursions onto their lands. Understandably, because people had come onto their lands for nefarious purposes to take from them. They seldom lived to tell about it. Dad said, I want to go to them, minister to their needs, and maybe ultimately tell them about the love of Jesus. Church said, no way. You're not going out there. So when the opportunity to move on came, Dad took it, still trying to find a place. He ultimately, I don't know how he did this, on a preacher's salary, on a missionary preacher's salary, he ultimately took flying lessons, bought a small plane, I think mortgaging the house, to fly into the Huichol Indian Reservation in the Sierra Madre Mountains of Mexico. Dad spent years, starting with just two strips, in that godforsaken territory where it had been so long since anybody had visited them that when Dad landed at that first strip, they remembered the name of the last person who'd come to see them 18 years before. 
And he began a ministry, taking medicine, medical students, food, medical care to the Huicholes. Over five years, as different indigenous peoples around that broken terrain heard about help, they started building their own strips in their own villages. By the time we left that area, there were 32 airstrips all over those mountains because he was serving their needs. It wasn't till toward the very end of that time that they had enough confidence in him, that he had enough relationship with him, that he began to share the story of Jesus with them. Most of the time, just serving. I don't think I really understood the cost that ministry was to mom and dad until the day we were at home on vacation in Texas, still remember the house, still remember the kitchen dining room area where this occurred, where dad, who had, I don't know how he had gotten the loans, mortgaging the house or in some other way to pay for the planes, was trying to make it. I remember the day dad called out. We went to see what it was. He was waving a letter in his hand. He read it. It was a mission organization that says, we will take on the project of paying for your plane. We will pay it all off. Dad, who tended to be very formal, rather reserved, was dancing a jig in that dining room. Because a place called the Quiet Hour, not three miles from here, said, we'll lift the burden. As I look back in my adult years, I understand the profound personal cost. Because he wanted to use whatever gift he had been given to serve others. Jesus echoes Peter's words in his ministry when he says, freely you have received, freely give. The third story. The Nobel Literature Prize-winning laureate Saul Bellow, Canadian-American Jewish writer, told the story. Told the story of a Jewish rabbi in a small Russian village many years ago. The people said the rabbi lived very close to God. In fact, says the Jewish tale, every Friday morning, the rabbi would disappear for a number of hours before he would reappear later in the day. The people didn't know where he went, but they came to believe that on Friday mornings, the rabbi ascended to heaven to speak to God. He would come back lightened and energized. And then a stranger moved to town, watched the rituals in the village, watched what the rabbi did, listened to the stories that were told about him ascending into the presence of God. He was very skeptical, to put it kindly. And so he decided, I'm going to find out. So he kind of watched for his opportunity, surreptitiously, waited for a Friday morning, 
when he saw the rabbi leave and he could tail him, trail him through the woods to see exactly what does the rabbi do on Friday mornings. And the skeptical stranger watched as the rabbi took an axe and began to cut, to chop firewood. Chopped for two or three hours. Loaded up the firewood he had chopped. Carried the burden to a little shack out by itself where lived an elderly widow and her very sick son. Took them the firewood. Tried to help with what else might be needed. Left them what they needed for a week. And then turned and made his way home. That skeptical stranger became a disciple. And when he would hear the village people say, on Friday, our rabbi talks to God, ascends into his presence, the stranger would whisper to himself, Yes, and maybe even higher than that. Service to the needs of others. That's what Peter calls us to. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Friends, we're in a strange time. A time when we're isolated from each other. A time when it's very difficult to serve. A time when we can take in and take in and take in. Let me ask you to please not be that garden hose. But find a way to open the other end so that the water of life can flow freely through you. I don't know how you'll do it. Maybe make a list of acquaintances whom you know are lonely and make it a discipline on a daily or a weekly basis to call them and not be on a hurry to get off the phone. Maybe start a Zoom Bible study group with some of your friends and some others who might be lonely. You drive it, even if you have to forget someone else to teach. Make it a commitment to take a meal to a grieving family. Call our U-Reach, our outreach department, and say, how can I minister? How can I serve? But whatever you do, listen carefully to Peter's directive. Because the end of all things is near. We want to live the life to which Jesus calls us. The life of prayer, the life of love, the life of welcoming, we want to live the life of service. Always remembering each one of us should use whatever gift we have been given in its various forms to serve others by the grace of God.